You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Uh, this morning, as we come together, uh, we have a chance to celebrate seniors. And, and this year presents us with a unique opportunity. We have uh, one senior that we're celebrating this year. Um, and I thought this is really exciting for me because this particular senior has given a tremendous amount of time and energy and compassion to Citrus Church over the years. Um, so uh, we're celebrating, Bella, I'm not going to make you come up yet, uh, but we're celebrating Bella Bridges this morning as she is graduating. And I'd like to share a few things this morning, a couple things about her. She is graduating from Windermere High School, go Wolverines. Uh, she is a recipient of the Bright Futures Scholarship. Uh, she has a 4.0 unweighted GPA, uh, a calculus award, over 150 volunteer hours through the school. And she's attending University of Florida in the fall. Go Gators, right? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Bella. <laughs> it's, a, it's a diverse crowd this morning, and I guess, yeah. Hey, we can celebrate her going to UF, right? That's right. That's right. Uh, if you have been around Citrus for any period of time, you know that Bella has volunteered with enthusiasm to serve in one of the most important and one of the most impactful areas in our church. Uh, perhaps as you've come together in person, you've seen her uh, when we were outside. She has helped to take your temperature to make sure that we were safe. Uh, most weeks when she's not in worship, she's helping our children grow in their love for Jesus. So she works closely with our children's ministry. Uh, and it was my honor just before everything shut down uh, and we were still meeting at the movie theater uh, to officially baptize Bella in the faith. Um, that was an exciting moment for me, and it's been exciting to see her growth and progress. Uh, when we gathered in those spaces, most weeks she could be found finding a way to serve somewhere, uh, whether it was helping with hospitality, but mostly it was helping behind the scenes with children's ministry, helping to make all the lessons go smooth. So whenever your kids come home and tell you about something that they learned, it's in part because of her influence and her impact. What we actually tried to do was to go through and count up how many volunteer hours Bella had with us as a church, but get this, the system couldn't go back far enough and it couldn't go down deep enough to calculate the hours. So once it calculated about 100 hours that she had contributed to Citrus over the years, the, the system actually just said it can't go any further. <laughs> but, but to me, that's a source of pride because she has given so much of her time, talent, and energy. Uh, Bella, I asked some of the people in the church that you served with over the last couple of years to share a sentence. Um, and, and Lauren said that Bella is a humble caring soul, and we have been blessed to have her at Citrus. Uh, Janet Wheatley said that when I think of Bella, I'm always struck by her calm, quiet, confidentness, and her friendliness. Uh, Casey Ibanez wrote that Bella is an amazing person who's always willing to jump in and help wherever it's necessary. Her quiet and calm teaching style with the kids in our children's ministry has been amazing to watch, and I wish her luck in her next adventure. I know that she'll do great things. So when I think about Bella and the other seniors who are graduating, I think about 1 Peter 4.10, which says each of us should use whatever gift we have received in the service of others, faithfully administering God's grace in all of its various forms. So your commitment to serve the youngest disciples that we have at Citrus to help shape Jesus followers from a very young age will continue to pay dividends, dividends that I don't know that any of us will be able to see in our lifetime because it will continue to unfold. So as you look forward to your next steps in college, I want to offer to you this passage from 1 Timothy. When it says, don't let anyone think less of you because you're young, but be an example to all believers in what you say 
in the way that you live, in the way that you love, and in your faith. So as a young adult in the church and life, you have set an example for all of us of what it looks like to commit our lives to Jesus, to follow after Jesus, and to connect deeply and passionately as part of a church. So our prayer is that God would continue to bless you on your journey the rest of the summer. Um, but we've also put together a gift for you. Um, so I want to invite you to come at this point in time. Well, we are very proud of you. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't take this opportunity to pray for her. So normally we'd all kind of gather together and, and, and place hands upon her shoulders. But, you know, we got that COVID thing going. So I'd just like to invite you, if you would, uh, just uh, stretch your hand out towards Bella as a way of just extending your heart and your prayer towards her. If you're at home, just stretch your hands out towards your screen or whatever. Let me offer these words, this prayer over you. Oh God, as we come together today, Lord, we give thanks for the example of Jesus that we have seen in Bella. We give thanks for her spirit of selflessness, for her generosity, for her quiet and calming presence, for the way that she can bring peace into a children's ministry classroom, for the way that she has helped our kids learn about you. Lord, we thank you that you have carried her up into this day. We thank you for the impact of her parents and her family and for all of her peers and teachers who have shaped her and poured into her. And as she prepares for this next step in her journey, as she begins to look out over the horizon of what comes next, we pray that you would help her to see that it is your goodness and your love that will continue with her. Help her as she takes those first steps onto campus and into classes and into new situations and new friends. May her light for you continue to shine and be an example and encouragement to all those that she meets. We thank you so much for the gift of the time that we've had with her, and uh, we look forward to hearing the ways that she grows in faith and shares your love with others. So we extend our blessing and your blessing to her today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you join me in congratulating Bella again? Can head back. Just watch out that cord. So uh, parents, as we're continuing to live into this space, what we'll do is after worship concludes, you'll head down to the media center, there's signage, and you can uh, collect your children there bring them back with you. We love your kids, but we can't take them home with us. So thank you. Uh, this week, we're wrapping up our series of living in the moment. And what I've hoped to do over the last couple of weeks was to help us to find ways to live in the moment as the world is continuing to reopen. Uh, and as I thought about this week's message, which is simply titled, Do Less, and all of us laughed, ha, 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 that would be nice. As I thought about how we would approach this idea of doing less, I thought about my youngest uh, birthday party. So Sam it just turned five, and we just had his fifth birthday party. And in our house, if you know us, we tend to go a little bit big. <laughs> I'm, I'm underselling this. When it comes to planning birthday parties. Uh, and Sam likes to do whatever his sister just did for her last birthday. So for Addison's birthday, we rented one of those bounce house water slides for the backyard and just had uh, four or five of her friends who were in her class that she was already going to school with over. And Sam, of course, said to us, I want to do what Addison did. And so we rented the bounce house for the backyard, the water bounce house. We invited a few of the friends that he was already in school with. And we realized once that was complete, now all we had to do was begin to figure out the decorations. So the activity was done. And in the past, we'd had various themes. But the theme this year was Transformers Rescue Bots. Anyone else watch that show more than they should? Right. There we go. At least there's a few of us. Now, now in the past, Melanie and I have gone uh, way overboard in terms of decorating 
and preparing for this. And, and she knows I'm sharing this, even though she went that away. Like, this is, this is just a thing that we have confessed to in the past. And so for his birthday, just to kind of give you an example, for his first birthday, uh, it was kind of like this little bow and arrow theme, like a wild one party. And so I made a, a custom arrow out of some reclaimed pallet wood that could be a birthday decoration and then could be a decoration for his room. As I say these things out loud, I realized that maybe this was too much, but I didn't at the time. Right? For his second birthday, it was a, a chugga-chugga tutu theme, a, a train theme. That's pretty cute, right? And, and we, we put together these boxes and basically made for him out of cardboard boxes a life-size train. And it wasn't just like cardboard boxes. We wrapped the entire thing so you couldn't tell it was cardboard boxes. And we made the little things behind it. We also made custom banners with our cricket. We, we also had these elaborate table decorations. And it wasn't like we felt like we had to. This was something that we enjoyed doing. Like we enjoyed the crafting and the decorating and going a little bit over the top. Um, for any of those, I look out and some of y'all have been to our parties. And I'm sure you've looked around and I'm like, these people are like crazy, right? Don't laugh. I know I heard some of that. But uh, so we, we've kind of tended to go over the top. And what we realized is that we were usually putting in several hours of work after the kids had gone to bed. Like the kids would go down. We would get out the supplies. We would work on things for, for a couple of weeks before just getting all these various elements ready. And it would kind of take over like a dining room table or a living room area. And at times, I can admit that it was probably more than we felt like we were in for. We'd be a couple of days out and thinking, like, we just did too much this year. Like, we just did too much Pinterest stuff. Like, there's too much that went into this party. But this year was different because we rented the bounce house, so the activity was complete. And we were only having five of his friends over, and it was in the backyard, so the whole thing was outside. So all we had to do was basically just put stuff on the backyard table. So there was only one little banner that we made that didn't take any time at all. There's only one little table decoration that we made that took no time at all. And we felt a little guilty <laughs> because we hadn't put in hours to it, but everything was ready. And so on the day of Sam's birthday, uh, he and his buddies were sliding down the water bounce house, and he was just having his best day ever. I mean, you could see the joy radiating from his face. And I remember this because Melanie looked over, and she said to me, that was the most simple birthday we've ever done, and we didn't do all the stuff. And it seems to me like he's having just as good a time as if we did all the stuff. And for Melanie and I, that was kind of a sobering moment and a wake-up call to say, you know, it's not like we took time away from the kids, but we had, we had done so much for these things and these birthdays in particular. And we realized that, in fact, we could do less and enjoy it more. What, what I'm saying is we realized we could do less and be more in the moment that happened up until that point, more in the moment of that day because we weren't worried about all the things. And, and this sounds so common sense, but I wonder how many of us do that. We, we get so distracted in the moment about putting things together, about doing things, that by the time the moment comes or in the process that leads up to it, we're just overwhelmed and overstretched. I mean, I was reminded again that the point of the party was to celebrate Sam. That was the goal of the party. And we felt like we were finally able to do that. So as we talk about this idea of living in the moment, we've talked about how we practice gratitude and about how God invites us to be in this present moment versus the past or the future. It reminds me again that our plates are beginning to fill up, that our calendars are getting busy. And 
I was reminded that next year for Sam's birthday, the world will probably look very different next April. And we could go back to doing all the things. But will we? And were there takeaways that we had learned in this season that would help us? And I think that's the question that I want to offer to us, is as so many dynamics have changed in our work, in our life, in our world, and as the world begins to go back to maybe not the same normal as before, but a different one, the question I keep thinking is, should we and do we need to? Or have we learned enough that we can begin to live in a different way? Because I think the, tr- the, re- re- the reality is that we will lose the points in all the preparations. And if we want to live in the moment, one of the things that we can do is to begin to do less. And, and I know a lot of y'all out here this morning and a lot of y'all online, that's going to be really hard for a lot of us to do is to do less. Like we've got a lot of folks in here who are very good at doing a lot of things because you're good at stuff, and because you've been entrusted and you've been given responsibility over things. And you have passion around areas and you're committed to things. And we are naturally inclined as people to keep pushing and doing more and more and more. And you know as well as I do that we're subtly taught as a culture to do more, to be productive more, and to hustle more. In fact, we tend to celebrate and to lift up those who can hustle the hardest, right? It's like if you haven't hustled and just face-planted in the ground yet, you're doing great. And we celebrate those and tend to forget about the places when we all crash. One of the hallmarks of our world and our culture today is the ability to multitask. And as I'm inching closer to my 40s, I am clearly aware at this point that whatever ability I thought I used to have to multitask, I'm not good at multitasking. And as much as I try to do many things at once, I just don't do them well. I know people who do. And what I don't want to say is that we can't multitask. What I want to invite us to do this morning is to think about how we can begin to do less and focus more of our time and attention and priorities on the places and the people and the things that matter in this present moment. If this pandemic has taught me anything of myself, it's invited me to really think about this question. How am I measuring my worth? Does my value come from what I do and what I contribute to society? And is that how Jesus measures my life and your life? And and thankfully, the Bible helps us with this question, this one in particular. And so what I want to do this morning is look at one of my favorite books of the Bible, the, the the letter from James. James just has all the practical advice that we really ever need. Uh, And so I want to look this morning at James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. And James writes, My brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking nothing. But anyone who needs wisdom should ask God, whose very nature is to give to everyone without a second thought, without keeping score. Wisdom will certainly be given to those who ask. Whoever asks shouldn't hesitate. They should ask in faith without doubting. Whoever doubts is like the surf of the sea tossed and turned by the wind. People like that shouldn't imagine that they will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded and unstable in all their ways. And so as we get into this this morning, I want to begin with one of the simpler words in this passage, this word here, think. You see that there? It says, think. 
of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. And as James is starting his letter, and as people are reading this, and as we're reading this too, we're probably thinking like, (laughs) wait a minute, James. We're talking about the same tests and trials that we're going through, right? We're supposed to count these as joy? Like, you're crazy. But I want to begin with this word, because James is making a pretty clear point. And the word here, think or consider, is an invitation for us to see these tests and trials in a way that is not normal and that is not natural to us. So what I'm going to ask us to do today, because what the scripture is asking us to do, is to begin to change our mindset to see things in a way that is not normal, that is not natural, but is the way of God. And so as we begin to get into this, we're going to think about things differently. We're going to do a mental shift today. And in particular, we're going to do a mental shift around these things that we call tests, or perhaps your version says trials. And when James uses this, he uses a couple of different words, and these are really a very broad scope of words that include a lot of different things. So when we see the word test, one of the things that we see are are things that prove, things that prove, things that are trying to demonstrate the truth or the integrity of something, right? If you're going to prove the value or the worth or the consistency of something, it needs to go through a test or a trial to prove that it's like that. Gold is always the example. It has to be proven to be of the right quality. Diamonds and gemstones have to be proven to be of the quality that they're stated to be. When I think of proving, I think of a, of a medical stress test, which is intended, despite its name, to help see the integrity of your heart. Right? A stress test in the medical world helps us to prove the integrity of our heart. This is one of the ways that we can think about trials. I think about friends who are CPAs, and they've mentioned to me that there's various levels of testing that they have to go through to earn certain credentials and qualifications. And and this is simply proving that they know what they need to know at various levels so they can move up and continue to take on responsibilities. So when James uses that word trials, it's things that help prove, right? The other way that this might be are temptations, and temptations are, are external lures that pull us away from our commitments. It could be our commitment to God, but it could also be our commitment to our health or to our family or to our focus. Temptations that seek to pull us away from what we've committed to. <laughs> One of my temptations is, is going to the grocery store for groceries when I'm hungry. Can I get an amen on that one? Right? And then we show, I come back home with, you know, I'll come back home with like, we've got five boxes of Cheez-Its for the week. Right? We don't have any other fruit or vegetables, right? If I go shopping when I'm hungry, I get snack food for myself. This is a temptation. I know this thing, right? This is a lure that pulls me away from a commitment that we have to eating in ways that are good for us as people. Spiritually, it's, it's the temptation that we might face to say, you know, man, man, I'm just too busy to pray and to maintain any kind of regular time of devotion. This really ties into this idea, you know, I've got too many things going on to really be a part of this commitment. This is another way that James is talking about these trials. The third way I want to mention this morning are are adversities, Uh, things that are actually coming against us. So trials and tests that are coming against, these are external pressures that are trying to throw off the plans that you have or that God has for your life. It's, (laughs) I wrote this in my notes, it's like rain on your wedding day. It's for all the, it's for all the, all the Alanis Morissette fans. (laughs) It's good. But, but no, it's, it's like this. Like, I was invited to give the invocation 
uh, at a board of county commissioners meeting. And so that's downtown Orlando at, the, at their offices there, and the mayor's there, and all the county commissioners there, and it's streamed on Orange TV. Uh, I, I dug out the, like the one suit that I own at this, this point in my life, and I was invited to give that invocation there in front of them and everybody, and I was really excited about this. And, and halfway down the 408, I got a flat tire. I mean, it's one thing to call a friend and say, hey, I'm not going to make it. It's, it's another thing to call your county commissioner and be like, <laughs> so I got a flat tire. I can't be there. Um, can you punt for me and, and offer the prayer? These are, these are external pressures that come against us and throw off the plans that we have made. It's, it's big things, too, like the coronavirus that has thrown off all kinds of things. But it's also the everyday things, like, like when we double book ourselves and we get our day out of whack. Right? These are external things that have come against us. So what I hope to offer you this morning is, is a very large pool that we can pull from of tests and trials. Things that are trying to prove the value that we have, things that are temptations to us, and things that are external that come against us. That's what James is trying to do here is when he's saying, think of these various tests. He wants you to, to pull from all these different types of things and to think of those, whichever are most on your plate or the forefront of your mind today. And so when he says, think, he's saying, consider those things different than you typically do. And my hunch is you consider those things the same way I do. While all those things were different, there was a common thread. Those things are all uncomfortable. Those things are all unwanted. Those things are all negative or painful or things that we would just like to get past sooner than later. Right? Tests and trials have a common theme, and it's that we don't like them, that they are not helpful and that they are things that we want to move through as fast as possible. And he's saying, think on these. Make a mental shift. In a sense, change your vantage point from seeing them as all negative and all bad to considering them as occasions for joy. Now, we may not be with James yet on that point, but stay with me a little bit longer. If it sounds crazy to you, it still sounds crazy to me. We're invited to make a mental shift on these parts of our world. We all face these kinds of things professionally and personally, even at school. And we want God to fix these things in the moment. It's the things we pray about. God, fix this. God, help. God, I don't know what to do. I don't know what's coming next. This thing is pushing against me. And James invites us to consider this question and said, God, in spite of this test and trial, what can you do now? Or what new possibility does this negative thing open up? I mean, that sounds crazy, right? But that's what James is saying is shift your perspective so you begin to ask the question of, God, what can you do now through this negative thing that I'm experiencing or facing or going against? Or that's just simply hard and challenging. And what's happening with that reality shift, with that change of perspective, is we can begin to find a way to live in the moment. And the occasion for joy that we can find is not because we all of a sudden love it when things go bad in our life, like, oh, no, a flat tire, I'm so excited, you know? It's like we begin to see like, oh, okay, if I believe that God is good and that God is for humans and for me, how can God bring something good from this? And what that begins to do is it changes our mindset from seeing the negative, which I do all the time, to beginning to see the possibility of what God can do in the moment and how God can redeem a situation and turn things around. What it basically does is it invites us to see the challenges that we face with Jesus, with Jesus. 
So when we were in college and in school and when I was in high school, this was one of my favorite questions. Educators, you may have heard this one too. Uh, will this be on the test, right? Will this be on the test? Because the question I'm asking is, do I even need to pay attention at this moment in time, right? So much of what you all do as educators is, is, is you're teaching things that have to be on a test or a standardized thing. And so because of that reality, students and you have learned that there are things on the test that they need to know and there are things that we may not need to know, right? And so as we're looking at this here, there's so much to know and so much to keep in our mind that we just want to know the essentials and is this on the test? And I think that a lot of the world operates in this framework too because this is the framework of pass and fail. A lot of what we do in test in school and in the world is based off of passing or failing. And it's a line in the middle, kind of like this line on the floor. You either fail or you pass. And we just need to know what are the things I need to know to get across that line into passing. And James in his letter wants us to make this mental shift because God works differently than humans do. In some church circles, we've done the same thing too. We've reduced the message of faith into a pass or fail. Either you pass and you get into heaven or you fail and you don't. And we've reduced it so much to just a line in the sand that it looks like the faith we're offering is like what we see in schools, where we're just trying to get you across that line. And once you're across that line, you're good to go. You've made it into heaven. Just continue on with the rest of your life. But we all know there's so much more to it than that. It must have been just as common in James's time as it is in our time to believe that we just need to, A, get into God's love, and B, just get out of hell and into heaven, right? And we've drawn this line in the sand. And so in some ways in our faith, we've asked the question, Lord, is this going to be on the test? Because if it's not, I'm just going to try and do the things that get me across the line at the end of life. And when we get going so fast with so many different things, it's, it's, we can see this subtly in our lives, even as followers of Jesus. And perhaps this is how we see the tests and the trials of our faith. Perhaps in our faith life, when we're going through these things, these tests and these trials, what we're actually doing is saying, I just need to get through this because I need to make sure I'm still getting across the finish line. And so I want to offer to us this idea, this mental shift. Because what I've come to realize is that the tests and the trials that we experience in life and in faith are not really about whether we make it into heaven or not. And God's goal in working with us through these things is not about making sure we have fire insurance at the end. It's not about making sure that we can cross the line at the end. It's more about how we live in the moment. So continuing the school metaphor, God is less interested in these entrance and exit exams, less interested in these passes and fails, than what God is doing in these tests and trials are progress reports. Okay. Progress reports are a whole different ballgame, right? Because a report card at the end is a line in the sand. You either made it or you didn't. I remember my senior year, I needed one grade in one English class bumped up uh, from an 89 to a 90. That's all I needed. My GPA would have gone up from a 2.9 to a 3.0 and would have changed a lot of different things that were contingent from a 2.9 to a 3.0. And it, and it didn't happen, right? And so we begin to look at these things, and that was kind of an in and an out moment. There was nothing that could be changed at that point in time. The grades were done. They were entered. The challenge was over. But a progress report comes midway through the stream. 
And the goal of a progress report is to say, here's where things are today. You have still got an entire another half to correct them. If things are good, continue. If things are not, it's a chance to make changes. So I want to invite us to see the trials and the tests we face as progress reports, as things that indicate to us that there is still an opportunity for a mid-course update, still time to make change. It's not about passing or failing with God. We are already beloved and welcomed as children of God. The goal is to help us to see where further work is needed. So when James says, consider it pure joy when you face these kinds of tests and trials, what I've learned is that tests and trials reveal a lot more about what's going on inside of me than often they do what's going around. Tests and trials show me, okay, so I believe in responding without vengeance and not keeping a list of wrongs. Now I've been tested with that. Do I actually live that out in my life? And when I go through an opportunity to take vengeance or to take revenge or to get back at somebody in particular, I can get a progress report on how I'm doing in my walk of faith. What these things are intended to teach us, and this is how we can see them as occasions for joy, is that we can see that God is trying to help us see the areas where we can still grow, the areas where we can still become more like Christ in all that we do. This is the mental shift that we're trying to make. Not that we just begin to think this silly idea that I love going through bad stuff. No, what we do love, though, is knowing that Jesus is inviting us closer and closer into relationship with God, that, that we love the idea of allowing the Holy Spirit to work more and more and more through us. We love seeing other people get connected to God because we played some small role. We love seeing our attitude different this time than it was last time because God helped us to make a shift, right? We love that. That's the occasion for joy. That's the reason we continue this. And so if you're skeptical of this, this mental shift idea, I want to invite you back into verse 5 again. Uh, in verse 5, it says, Anyone who needs wisdom should ask God. I've leaned on this passage many times. Whose very nature is to give to everyone without a second thought. Without a second thought, without keeping score. Uh, when I was in seminary, one of the classes we had to take was biblical Hebrew which was a mental shift in a lot of ways, reading kind of left to right to reading right to left. Uh, but the professor that we had for this class uh, was, was unique in his own way because we would often have these, these tests, right, which are usually a pass-fail kind of thing. And we would fill out the test. You'd kind of go through it for that week. You'd bring it up to the desk, and uh, he would look over it. And, and you learned after the first one just to hold on a second. He would look over and, and say, is that what you wanted to write for number three? And you would say, I don't think so. And he would kind of give you one of these like, okay. And you would go and sit back down, try to get now, now, you didn't get a chance to do this on every single question, but he would at least look over it because for him, the point wasn't that we got everything right on the test. I think he understood that the point of us learning biblical Hebrew was not so we could impress people so much. But he understood that for us, the idea was that we would pass Hebrew class, but that we would better understand Hebrew so that we could better understand the Old Testament in particular, so that we could better teach this as part of our ministry, so that we could be better pastors, so that we could help shape people in the faith. Like, he got the trickle-down of this. It wasn't about number three being right or wrong. It was about, are we learning? Are we making progress? Are we growing? And that goes back and forth. And I believe that this is an example of how God works with us. Like, 
are you sure you meant to say that to your coworker? <laughs> like, like, are you sure that's what you meant to type on Facebook, right? Like, I'm thankful in my email sometimes that it gives me five seconds to rescind an email, mostly just because my spelling is atrocious, and I'm sorry to those who've ever read my emails. But I love the idea that God is a God who invites us to make continual growth. It doesn't chastise us when we get it wrong, but instead loves us into new ways of life. And that's the point that James is trying to make here. The point of the test that we see in verse 3 is that God gives wisdom without a second thought. God's very nature is to not keep score. I mean, mean, put that in the level of how we do kind of testing and education and how we rank our lives, whether you're in school or in the work. We keep score, whether it's a grade or it's a salary or it's a level or it's a promotion. Like we know the scores around. God doesn't keep score in that way. And I think that's good news for us because we're often told that our value and our worth is based on what we can do and what we can produce and how productive we can be. And success and results matter. And we assume that this must just be the way that God sees it too. So we keep on adding more and more and more on top and we stack up these commitments because we live in a performance-based society. And what we're learning here in verse five is that God instead gives freely to those who ask. This is grace. Grace gives freely. And if you've ever noticed this, most productivity boosters, you have to pay for. You have these in your profession too, these little subtle things that say you can boost your productivity. Like we got that in the church too. I get ads every day as a pastor saying like, boost your stuff. Like you always have to pay for that stuff. And, And I love the idea that God gives this grace freely. This idea that we can be promised some kind of professional or personal utopia through better systems or increased hustle or some kind of secret formula, and I've bought into that stuff too. So if you're feeling the weight of tests and trials piling up, there is a way out, a better way to live. And it's really summed up in this word endurance that we see in the scriptures. Endurance means to stand up under a heavy weight. It's a term like you think of in wrestling or weightlifting, the ability to stand up under something that is heavy. And that's what it means as a person of faith to walk through trials is to be able to stand up under a significant amount of weight, not because we can carry it ourselves, but because there is one who lifts it for us. So instead, what we find is there's this passage here that says not to be double-minded, not to be double-minded. The idea of double-minded is we're looking in two directions. Our mind is going two ways at once. And this is the idea of multitasking that I so often think I can do, is I can have my mind here and I can have my mind there. And we see this crop up from time to time, this double-minded or this this triple-minded, or if we think we're really good, we'll try and do like quadruple things at once. Whenever I roll through the Wendy's drive-through, I typically order uh, a single. And if you've noticed this, they always ask the same question when you say, I'd like the number one. They say, would that be a double or a triple? And my, my stomach is like, do the triple. And my mind always wins and says, like, nope, nope, you're doing the single, right? You're doing the single. But we think we can just stack these layers up. And we're taught in so many subtle ways that, that success in life is stacking double, triple, quadruple. And James says that this double-minded thinking is what's making us unstable in all of our ways. I mean, I know that. I know that when I'm sitting down and talking to somebody that 
I can tell if their mind is somewhere else. And when I'm talking with someone else, they can tell if I'm making a grocery list or something in my head. I've done it. You've done it. We do these things. We're, we're there, but we got so much going on that we're trying to think of other things. And we're trying to get as much done as we can. And those are the things that take us out of the moment, out of the opportunity to be with that person in that moment. So I just simply want to remind us in closing today that what God is inviting us to do is to, to find wisdom because God gives us wisdom without a second thought. I love that idea that God is single-minded towards us when we are double and triple-minded towards so many things. Today, the wisdom of God for you is a reminder that you are more than what you do, that you are more than what you can produce, that your worth and your value is already established because you, like all, are a child of God. This is a mental shift that we have to make time and time again. This is our progress to live in the rhythm of grace. So I want to offer you a simple way to do that. The next time you find yourself talking to someone but in a different place or you find yourself doing something but trying to think of three other things at the same time, I want to invite you just to pray a prayer like this. God, help me to be present now and trust you for what comes next. It's not a magic formula, but what it does is it invites us to say, God, I know that you're in this moment. You're in this person across from me. You're in this work. You're in this opportunity. And there's a lot of stuff on the horizon, a lot of stuff that's next. But I'm going to trust you to take care of that when the time is right. This is not easy. This was not easy for James and his congregation. This has not been easy for followers of Jesus for 2,000 years. But the good news is that God is with us, and God will meet us in those moments with wisdom or with endurance or with strength. That'll meet us for that time. So as we begin to change our perspectives and live in the moment, it's not about being the most productive human being that ever lived. Yes, we can do more than one thing at a time. Yes, we can multitask. But the mental shift we need to make is by seeing ourselves how God sees us. By seeing ourselves in the way that God sees us and in the way that we have been called to. So this change of perspective will invite us into the moments that matter. And at the very end, what it'll do is what we see in Colossians. Whatever you do, do it from the heart for the Lord and not for people. I want to invite us to take this scripture with us this week as we go about all the different things that we'll see, all the different trials and tasks, and find a way to commit ourselves in that moment to the heart of the Lord and not to the people that we might be trying to please or to impress. And when we do that, when we find a way to live in the moment, we experience the grace of God that says to us, keep going, I am with you always. Let's pray together this morning, and then I'll invite us to pray uh, and close with the Lord's Prayer. We'll put that up on the screen so you can join in, and you'll see it in, in English and Portuguese. And I just want to invite you to pray that prayer in the language that's most natural to you. Yes, let's pray. God of each one of us, Lord, as we gather this morning, we confess to you the ways that we are trying to stack one, two, three, four things at once. God, we confess to you the trials, whether they're temptations that we face, whether they're adversities that we face, or whether we are just going through some things where we're trying to prove that we know the right things or that we can do the right things at work, and it's just a challenge for us. Lord, would you speak to each heart this morning and remind us again of our value and our worth simply because we are your children. Nothing more than that is ever needed. 
we are beloved. Lord, we offer up to you today all those who are graduating, all those who are making transitions. And as we lean into this time of summer when the schedules change, when things become different, help us to continue to live in the moment. Help us to continue to lift up our eyes in every moment and see you. We know that this is possible not because we have to work hard to do it, but because you are the God who meets us in each moment. And so it's in the confidence that we have as your children that we can pray the prayer your son taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you.